Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure, and as always be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. And as an added content warning for this week, this week's chat will discuss the film's subject matter, which contains suicide and trauma. For this week's episode, we're discussing Parker Finn's psychological horror film Smile, in which after losing a patient in a tragic incident, Dr. Rose Cotter, played by Josie Bacon, begins experiencing horrifying happenings that she can't truly explain to others, yet these occurrences were consistent with her patient who had reported these prior to her death. What transpires is a journey into Rose's grief-stricken past to understand and confront her dangerous present. And joining me to unpack Smile's approach to trauma and terror are not one but two returning friends of the show, that is two-thirds of the Nuclear Fridge podcast, Mr. Jake Decker and Stuart Garris. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for having yeah, appreciate both it. of us again. Hell yeah. you, you got the good two thirds of nuclear fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maddie is here with us in spirit and I'm hoping to have him on uh, again in the near future. But yeah, I've uh, enjoyed having all the nuclear fridge boys on. And so I'm uh, very excited to chat about a film that I have been surprisingly dying to talk about. This was a movie that I had seen that initial trailer for it. And I was like, okay, this has a pretty solid jump scare in it, but judging by a majority of that trailer and, you know, maybe them leading with or ending rather with such a heavy hitter of a scare like that. I was kind of like, ah, this looks a little generic, a little derivative of what I'd seen previously. And they have such a profound scare in the trailer that I was like, did they kind of like blow that scary wad a little too early, a little too eager to show what this movie was capable of if that was actually, you know, maybe the ceiling of the types of scares that they could uh, achieve with this one. So I'm curious, you know, based off of those initial trailers, what were your guys' sort of expectations for Smile? Uh, Jake, let's start with you. I was just hoping for an interesting horror film that wasn't too jump scare lenient, at least no cheap jump scares. Uh, but beyond that, I, I I didn't really have much expectations. I saw the trailer. I thought the trailer was really good, but it looked kind of gimmicky. Uh, so yeah, I, I saw the trailers and I was like, you know what? I think I kind of want to see that movie. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy I did. I, I, I saw it twice, in fact, and uh, I liked it both times. How about you, Stuart? Uh, my expectations, I, I think I think we even spoke about it before. Uh, they were kind of low. <laughs> not, not that, I mean, obviously I always hope that whatever I'm seeing will surprise me and will be good, but... I was getting those truth or dare vibes, which I think I mentioned before. I, luckily, without the CGI contorted smiles, but it was looking like a movie that was going to be let's scare some teenagers and make a lot of money type film, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I, I when you have a movie with something like that, you always hope for more. And you know, for me, luckily, that it, it caught me off guard with that, I, that it was actually a well done movie and and fairly deep and not just hey we got this creepy smile gimmick let's just use it for <laughs> 80 minutes uh so i i was pleasantly surprised yeah you know maybe it's because i'm such a jaded horror fan at this point but sort of along the lines of what you were saying Stuart. i was like oh this kind of looks very familiar 
and has a level of polish that I would attribute to something like any number of Blumhouse movies that they, you know, are releasing, it seems, on a weekly or uh, a couple releases a month. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know, this kind of looks like The Ring. This kind of looks like It Follows. And, you know, those are definitely fair, uh, I think, points of reference for this movie. But I, you know, along the lines of what you guys have been saying, this movie surprised me in more ways than one, I would say. And I think that it's interesting to see this be a film that is kind of polarizing a little bit, just in terms of, I guess, personally, like people that I've talked to about it have seemingly been on two ends of the spectrum of either people have loved it or people have just said this is like derivative kind of uh, just rehashing on prior ideas that have been in other horror films. And yet I ended up walking away thinking, oh, well, this is a movie that, you know, has a sturdy level of polish to everything. It does have a lot more scares in it. And we'll dive into those in a little bit. But I was also really surprised by the conversation that this film, you know, attacks in terms of like the perception of mental health, how others, you know, perceive that and the experience that people have with that. And I was not expecting this film to have perhaps as much to say about those topics as it uh, did. So I'm excited to kind of dive into that a little bit and talk about, you know, how Parker Finn is able to balance those two things. Because for people that don't know, this was a movie that was adapted from a short that he did called Laura Can't Sleep, which actually stars the actress that's in the very beginning of the movie who kills herself, uh, Caitlin Stacy. And she was playing a patient that's just, you know, in an interview with the psychiatrist. And it's basically the film rehashes those elements. And then he just expanded this into a, uh, you know, an almost two hour film, which, you know, for as long as it is, I barely noticed that it was two hours, to be honest. You know, I, that was something that I was thinking about going back to rewatch. And I was like, ah, oh, is this going to drag a lot? And then when I did rewatch it, I was surprised at how this film has pretty pretty sturdy pacing, I think, for uh, for a majority of its runtime. Granted, there might be a scene here or there that's a bit of a retread, but um, I'm curious, you know, how did you guys find Parker Finn's balancing of, you know, scares, which we'll get into, but also with some of the mental health commentary uh, that he tackles in the film? Stuart, for you, how was that balance? Uh, I, I thought the balance was, and I, I have, I've only seen it once, um, so I, I don't have a second time going in with, you know, the jump scares going on. And I know there, there were, I mean, there are quite a few jump scares in it. Uh, for me though, I noticed at least a, a good amount of them were either very well done jump scares and, or were almost, you know, scene transversals, which I thought was actually cool. Uh, not too much of the, oh, a black cat screaming. Uh, but as with the pace of it, I, I thought they did a good job. I, I, I talked to Jake after we had seen it, and I, it did not feel like a two-hour movie to me. Uh, it, it went by fairly quickly, which, and I appreciated also. It was, even though there are some jump, jump type scares and some horror stuff going on early, it's definitely more slow burn than I expected, uh, in, in, in a good way, uh, and. I think that the balance between the drama and the scares evened out for the most part for me. It it wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't really much there that I felt was unnecessary. Uh, Some movies when they have, you know, the side plots, like in this with her sister and, uh, you know, going to the jail and all that, usually they're just needless or in the case like with the prison scene, it's just, oh, it's just, we need a, we need an exposition scene. We need the Vincent D'Onofrio on a computer scene. Uh, but 
I found that in this movie, and it helps with what it's, you know, about, they definitely made it believable as to why these scenes are there and also as to why these people may not be so quick to jump on believing her because of her own backstory. So with the scares and the drama and all that, I, I thought they they did a good job. Yeah, I think that the way the movie opens is what really did put me at ease because, again, you know, I had some reservations about the film going into it just because, again, like sort of just my perception, which fortunately ended up... Uh, ended up not being the case with this movie. But, you know, I was appreciative of the fact that the movie begins a little slower than what I was expecting in that she has one genuine patient interaction before you get to that scene where, you know, the patient inevitably reveals about the haunting and then ends up killing herself because it captures Rose in what is just the day-to-day, right? You see her demeanor with the patient. You see how she is with someone that, you know, is in the middle of a crisis of sorts, And she's just very comfortable with what she's doing, even when others are not comfortable, right? I think she goes in to do an analysis on a patient and the orderly's like, do you want me to stay? And she's like, no, this is fine. This is totally fine because she's in her comfort zone. She knows how to gauge patients' behavior and these things and, you know, has a genuine interaction with them that, you know, puts them at ease and is able to get them into, you know, a bed for the night and to try to ride out this uh, psych... I guess, psychotic episode that they're having. Um, But then it does bleed into a second instance of, you know, a patient interaction, which of course unfolds uh, with the patient, you know, revealing the fact that they're being haunted by this deity of sorts that, you know, sometimes looks like people she knows, but it's always wearing a mask as a face. Um, So Decker, for you, the same question, you know, with the opening of the film, like how did you find that sort of balancing with, the mental health commentary and that being, you know, the stage for smile. Yeah. I mean, the opening in particular, when it comes to that, I, I thought it was a pretty good balance, mostly because it, the, the, her therapist sessions didn't really feel like your average film ther- therapy sessions, you know, where someone's on a couch laying down and, and asking like, how does that make you feel? You know, it, it, it felt pretty genuine. I will say as the film went on, I did have some issues with the uh, mental health stuff and how it was portrayed, particularly with like those final couple scenes. But that said, like I, I thought it was, I thought that opening set, set a good tone for a movie that was not just scary, but also a little bit thoughtful. Uh, and I, I think that's what part of why I was able to watch this movie twice and enjoy it both times. And it didn't feel like two hours, kind of like what you were saying earlier. Yeah. You know, I, keep coming back to just sort of the, I guess, early on the perception of the handling of like mental health and those different things that, you know, play into her occupation, right? Because it's more about, less about what she says early on, right? Because it's early on, it's that she's experienced this trauma, but it's more focusing on, you know, how people view her occupation and how they view, you know, in general, people that are her patients are like regular flyers, right? She has that early on uh, interview with the police after a patient kills himself. And there's the young cop and the old cop and the old cop just keeps referring to all of her patients as like the crazies. And then mm-hmm. you have the younger cop who's just like giving him side eyes like, uh, okay, like I think, I think we've updated the language here a little bit. But then also when they go out to dinner, right? And you see that her sister and her sister's husband are like very dismissive of what she does. They're like, well, if you were going to be a doctor, shouldn't you just like 
do it to get a bunch of money and be rich mm-hmm. and do this or that. And it was an interesting side of like tackling mental health, I thought, because as you said, Jake, they don't focus on, you know, that cliched sofa session, right, where they inevitably were talk about some kind of physical trauma or something like that. And with this film, I was surprised that it was more about the perception of, you know, mental health and rather than going down this very sort of just cliched route that I think we are uh, more than tired of at this point, <laughs> whether it be horror or otherwise. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned that that conversation with the cops. And I think that scene is is a little on the nose, especially with the other officer who, who's like, OK, yeah, he's fucking crazy or whatever. She's fucking crazy. Uh that that's a little on the nose, but I did appreciate how she was responding to it. And they were asking her what it was. And she was like, well, he exhibited signs of this, but it didn't really fit. Like she shouldn't have done that. And I kind of liked that her character throughout the film knew that there was something more. And, and because of her background as a psychiatrist in a place like that, I, I feel like the decisions she made made a lot of sense, I guess, throughout throughout that film, and, and especially when she was doing her investigation, more or less. Yeah, I think that that is a really strong basis for a character such as this, and that, you know, we learn about them being the authority without them having to tell us that they're an authority almost. And I think that's kind of like along the lines of what you were saying in terms of, you know, she's able to diagnose things that she comes into, you know, common practice in her line of work. And so when she is alarmed by, you know, what everybody else in the theater, obviously, up until that point is considered to be concerning behavior of her patients, when she begins to react differently to it, it's like, oh, okay, if she's making note of these things and these strange happenings, then we should probably start paying attention to those more just based Mm -hmm. off of the fact that she is, you know, beginning to become more and more uh, aware of just how strange these cases are in relation to, you know, however many uh, difficult days or difficult patients, uh, if you will, she's had over uh, over the years. In terms of, you know, Susie Bacon's arc of personal trauma and guilt, which, you know, does inform largely, you know, how she goes about handling this new reveal of like, there is this thing that is haunting everyone that is, you know, passing on through trauma, right? She learns through this that, you know, this spirit essentially jumps from person to person after someone has killed themselves after coming in contact with somebody else that has seen this deity essentially and they die within i believe it's a week um, and it passes on through trauma so one person sees somebody that is possessed or infected if you will kill themselves it then passes on to them and you know it's this ever-ending sort of revolving door uh, of a cycle um Stuart, for you like with susie bacon's arc of her own personal trauma and guilt um, did you find that to be, um, you know, too cliched? Did you find that to really inform her character and the overall theme of the movie in a way that uh, that actually like worked for you? Uh, yeah. So for me, uh, it worked overall. I mean, the thing with her, which you know, you kind of they they go into a little bit in the background with why I was. I know some people definitely found some troubled messaging with where the movie goes and how the entity operates with the characters but for her in particular i mean i mean like jake said i mean her background is she's a psychologist and you know she just had this experience in a room with a person that just you know killed herself in this horrendous and frightening way and you know when she starts experiencing these things it's it's not it, it like in some movies it's it, really quick to do so where with hers it's very 
you know, the first thing she sees is kind of the silhouette of the girl in the corner. You know, it's it's over the course of the movie that she really starts falling apart. But in, in terms of the entity with that, it feeds off her trauma. And it, it I can't quite remember the specifics with it, but I think they even went into how, you know, a lot of the victims of the entity have past trauma that they haven't dealt with in maybe necessarily a healthy manner, especially like with her, with her mother. Um, they do make a big point that it's something that even for her, knowing that it's good to face these things and know that it's something that never will go away, but that you can manage, she still has kind of isolated this incident, which is what the entity is thriving off of for most of the movie. And I think how well people have dealt with these things kind of speaks to how quickly it, it you know, ends their life. Because I think they mentioned that there were some characters that died sooner than a week but they found that usually the longest anyone lasted was about that week uh and with her she definitely she definitely is trying to you know figure it out and go along with it and i, I don't want to go into the ending yet with it because that's kind of the big crux of her trauma right. <laughs> uh because i think there's a lot of dramatic irony with that ending uh but I mean, as far as her handling it, I, I found it all very believable and how she approached it with others, as I also found it believable in this movie as to maybe why others would be a bit more dismissive of her. There are a couple more comical examples, I think, but for the most part, everybody, you know, they know what she's been through in her own life. And, you know, the things she's saying... You know, if you came across just, you know, this person randomly saying these things, it, it comes off as, you know, you would be questioning it a bit. I think some people could definitely be handling it in a, you know, a, a kinder manner than they do in this movie. But uh, I understood at least why. I, I wasn't saying they're going like, oh, come on, you got to believe her. You know, it was more realistic. So I, I, I like that. The way that I would describe the film is like it builds very gradually, whether it be in the scares or just in terms of exploring her character. Right. Um, I think that the way in which they portray grief, especially after, you know, of course, she deals with that suicide at work. Right. It's not so apparent that this is immediately a haunting. Right. It's that early on she, you know, she thinks that she sees something in, you know, a shadow in the dark, which it's like how many of us have woke up in the middle of the night? And we, you know, get scared by a pile of laundry on our <laughs> like desk chair or something, right. something along those lines. But then also, you know, we see another real world example of, you know, being shaken or, you know, trying to grapple with something that was very shocking and traumatic, which is when she's at work. Right. And she begins to hallucinate. Right. That the patient she sees initially is now, you know, more threatening than anybody has ever seen him be, which is why, you know, it's discredited. And eventually I think they even say like, oh, he was just like sitting in bed when she did that. And that was a scene where, and of course she calls like a restraint or a 51A on him or something. And that was the thing where it's like, okay, in the movie she hallucinates, but at the same time, like it's not entirely unbelievable that she would misinterpret his, you know, pattern to behavior at that point, which, you know, that's why she's not nervous around that patient. Um, at the beginning of the movie, because, you know, she deals with him multiple times a year. He does the same song and dance routine, but he's not violent. And so after having a trauma like that, I don't think it's outside the realm of uh, possibility like that she would misinterpret him as being a threat all of a sudden because he's, you know, saying these very hostile things that he usually says. But 
now she has this new trauma that she's trying to grapple with. So the films kind of build up to, you know, the inevitable jump scare when she's listening to computer audio later and something quite literally, you know, jumps right next to her face, which is along the lines of the types of jump scares that I thought this movie would be filled with, but it didn't end up actually, you know, being, uh, being filled with. Um, I was just appreciative of the fact that, you know, the buildup to those maybe more cliched kind of jump scary type moments, at least that it didn't lead with that right out the gate. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I do think that jump scare when she's on the computer is probably one of my least favorite parts in the movie, yeah. especially on a second watch. Uh, yeah, the first definitely. time when, when you're already tense and you hear it, it's like, okay, there's a nice release there after it happens. But the second time when I knew it was coming, it was just like, okay. And it screams because it has to, and it's a horror movie. It just feels, feels a bit too contrived. That said, I do think the when, when she first sees the entity like that shadowy figure when she's getting wine, I think is probably one of one of the creepiest scenes in the movie. Uh, just because that really played that I mean that played with me because you know I, I was second guessing myself as an audience member like am I actually seeing something or is the cinematographer director trying to make me think I'm seeing something and I really love that kind of stuff and I think. It, work, it works super well in this kind of movie. Well, that moment especially plays really well because it doesn't go the more, you know, generic route of she sees, she thinks she sees something, is there something there? And then it runs full screen. It yeah. runs right at the screen and then it's like, well, okay, yeah, there was something there. Um, and I think that again, like having that so early on, it shows that she's doubting her perception of what is happening, right? Which is, you know, if you've experienced a trauma such as she has, like the reality is, is that your perception of everything is going to be slightly askew in the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, they can play that up without having it have this, you know, in your face moment at the end where, you know, you have uh, audience members like Jake that are like, well, is am I seeing that? Is that supposed to be? The-? And then like just the fact that they're able to make that palpable for the audience um, is really effective, I think. And it's far more effective than, you know, having a lot more jump scare type moments that at the end of the day, I was like, sure, you made me jump, but on a replay, it doesn't play the same because you're like, okay, there was nothing really informing what is going on that's gained from that. Um, and I and I also don't like that jump scare because I was like, oh, is this going to show a new facet of the deity? Like you can actually hear something or, you know, something like that. But it's like, it's just trying to get you to jump out of your seat, which at the end of the day, it's a creepy enough movie and we're going to get into plenty of the scares in it that are effective. So on a rewatch, seeing some of those moments again, I was just like, okay, well, let's get on to the part that's still creepy, uh, which holds up actually pretty well. I always wonder, whenever I see stuff like that, I always wonder what was mandated by the studio and what was actually in the script. And I, I mean, I don't know if we'd get a director's cut, but I'd be super curious to compare a film like this with the director's cut versus the theatrical cut, just because, I mean, th- th- this director, I, I forget, what's the director's name? Parker Finn. Parker Finn seems seems very talented, knows knows what he's doing. Uh, but that particular scene felt a little cheap. It almost felt like, you know, studio execs were like, hey, look, you know, this is your first big budget film. I think it's his first one, at least his first uh, feature film. And like, mm-hmm. we got to at least have some of this in here because we have an audience we need to please. You're, you're an unknown quantity. So I wonder if his future films will be, you know, he'll, he'll be able to fight a little more for that creativity. But this is just speculation. Maybe he wanted that jump scare in there. And if he did, 
I, I, I like that scene less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is the type of thing too, especially once we start to unpack a little more of the movie where you're just like, once you start to weigh the quality and the originality of some moments in this that are really effective, and then you look at something like that, I think moments like that definitely open up that kind of speculation, right? Totally. It's the type of thing where it's like, yeah, that doesn't seem to be indicative of the quality, the high quality that certain portions of this film definitely hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one of those moments that stands out as just being like, eh, you probably had a little more uh, gas in the tank for this moment compared to some of the others. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, studios probably have some kind of fucked up metrics where it's like, oh, well, I haven't been scared in like five minutes. So yeah, the, al- the algorithm is saying that we need people yeah. <laughs> to be scared at least six times uh, every every hour. So we're going to need to up that. Absolutely. <laughs> But um, I guess getting into some more of these scares, because this is something that I was thinking about after I'd seen the movie, because when I went into the movie, I didn't know anything about it other than, you know, that brief initial teaser trailer that I saw and purposefully didn't read anything about it. But coming out of the movie and then starting to read more pieces about it, I'd seen a portion of people that had seen it start to complain about the fact that they said it was too similar to some of its very clear influences, you know, films such as obviously the ring it follows. Those are pretty clear influences, I think of this film, but for, well, before I say what I think, I guess, do you guys find that this movie is too beholden to its influences or do you find that, you know, Parker Finn is able to take those influences and then craft it into something that, you know, can stand on its own merits while still obviously being a clear influence from those. For you, Stuart, what do you think? Uh, I don't think that it's... I, I, I think that... I mean, obviously, it's very apparent those are influences. I don't think it's to the point of it being, you know, like a copycat or a ripoff. Uh, I think... Uh, especially... I mean, there are a couple scenes in there for sure, especially when in regards to the rings with one of the jump scares in this. Um, I actually thought was handled better in this because one of the scenes that's almost that's really similar to a scene from the ring when they're talking about someone's face. Uh, but in th- in this movie in comparison, there's no loud noise to go with it. So it kind of, you're just kind of shown it almost something like out of like, I don't know if you've ever seen like uh, red dragon, mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, the science of the lambs prequel. Uh, there's a scene in that also that has it where there's like a, a kind of a jumpish scare, but it's not like, Oh, loud noises. Uh, and as far as the It Follows thing, I mean, there's been movies before It Follows that have had entities that get passed on or diseases or what have you. So I, I definitely see the influence. It probably was from It Follows just because that movie, you know, had such a, you know, big, you know, following once it kind of started going, getting out in the world. They followed is what you're trying to say. Oh, they, we followed. <laughs> we followed. <laughs> Um, we followed it follows we followed it follows but uh, it uh, yeah no I don't think that this movie I mean if anything I think this movie kind of took that concept and made it that much more frightening in that you know I mean it's one and it follows it's uh, you know you pass it on through sex in this it's that you know hey if you you witness this traumatic event you're kind of (laughs) fucked so it definitely for me I, I think you know, took that concept and, and went in a bit of a different direction with it. And especially with how the movie handles it. I think that this movie and it follows while having that similar concept go in very different directions. Um, yeah. I haven't seen the ring, so I, I can't necessarily compare the two. I have seen it follows a couple times and I, I really do like that movie, but 
Well, the premise is similar. I feel like the execution is very different between those two movies, mostly with the tone, honestly. Uh, as much as I like it, this isn't necessarily not against It Follows, but It Follows has a very like surrealistic style to it where you don't really know what time period it is because the technology is kind of weird and it it the way it's shot it, it it doesn't it doesn't feel as spooky necessarily the tone i mean obviously the subject matter is scary and some of those shots the way, the way they're composed are very scary but this movie felt more grounded i guess if that makes sense uh and and i appreciated that i feel i felt like that was a a, a worthwhile way to take this premise. And, and I think it did enough to differentiate itself from that. I will say one inspiration that, that I see that probably wasn't uh, inspiration from the director, but uh, there is a quest in the Witcher three that is almost exactly like this. Uh, I've played the Witcher three countless times. It's one of my favorite games. Sorry to bring it to games, <laughs> but it, 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 I mean, Geralt is a monster hunter and there's a monster that basically, uh, latches on to people who are grieving so instead of tr- people who, who have trauma it latches onto them and it basically sucks them dry and turns them into a different person and th- there's a lot of very similar themes and i and i found it i found it oddly like it followed a lot of beats from that quest now it ended differently but that was honestly what came to my mind first i don't remember the name of this quest but it is about the heim if anyone listening knows but uh yeah, I, I, th- that was the that was the main thing that stood out to me, honestly, which is which is weird, I'm sure. <laughs> You're probably the first person that's ever connected those dots, but I'm definitely going to look into that mission because that sounds like an interesting facet of The Witcher that I missed. Uh, but yeah, you know, I guess for me, this is a thing where it's like I'm never one of those people that watches a movie typically, and unless it's an egregious, an egregious, egregious example of it. But you know, with a movie like this, I watch it and then i think okay this is these are clearly influences of the film but at the end of the day i find that this is what you know a homage horror film should be it, mm-hmm. it this is like mm-hmm. the best example i could think of something like that for this type of film and that you know it takes influences from what is arguably the two i mentioned which are probably two of the you know most well-known horror films of maybe the last 20 years or so um, and takes those, but then it regurgitates those ideas into, you know, its own thing, its own imagery, its own types of scares, its own personal struggles of the characters to a degree that, you know, I see influence, but I don't see blatant copy. Um, and that's probably a testament also to the ways in which they incorporate Susie Bacon's character and the ways in which, you know, they make this a film that you're never able to like lose the thread of how personal what is happening to her is. Um, And, you know, to what Jake was saying in terms of, you know, with something like, and again, it's not a knock against It Follows, but It Follows, I always view as almost like somebody's hazy recollection of something that's happened. It never feels like it's in the moment of what is happening or even in all that accurate representation of what happened at times. And with this film, it does feel very much more grounded. And maybe that's because of the subject matter that it deals with and how, you know, the reality of the curse in this film is something that I find to be far more grounded than something like The Ring, where, you know, The Ring, I almost view that as like witchcraft, right? You can't watch the spooky (laughs) tape and then something spooky happens. Whereas this film feels like a, maybe a modern, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it feels like more of a modern representation of where society is at. You know, how over the years we've seen all these new layers of, you know, 
trauma that people are dealing with on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, doom scrolling and seeing all these atrocities that are going on in the world and how we all feel like certain things are, you know, affecting us maybe more than they actually are. Um, and I found that the idea that the curse passes through trauma and, you know, something like suicide, I don't know, it just feels like it grounds this in a way that's a little more believable than, you know, the spooky videotape or the spooky sex curse type of thing. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is about a curse. So uh, how, you know, how grounded can it really be? But, right. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to get into, you know, some of the more specific scares that really stood out to us because, you know, there's numerous and, uh, you know, we've mentioned one that, you know, doesn't really work for us, but I think there's plenty of great examples of how they take this curse and this idea of, you know, smiles and masking people that, you know, you think that, you know, and then, you know, you see this doppelganger, if you will. Uh, Stuart, for you, like, what is a memorable scare that stands out to you? Well, I mean, one of the big things with the scares in this movie, I was worried that, you know, that car scene was going to be the, you know, the tour de force scare of the All movie. Of yeah, the only thing <laughs> and, they had. I was uh, worried about that, too. Thank so worried. God that was not the case. Uh, if we're just going for one scene, I think one of the big things for me was the, and, and not even necessarily out of it being frightening, but just because it actually just impressed me, was the full reveal of the entity at the end. I didn't expect it to go as big as it did with it and also managed to still look that good. Uh, and the design of it, I thought, was amazing. And that kind of took me back a bit. And I thought that the that sequence even leading up to it with her kind of facing the trauma with her mother, I thought was a really good buildup to that reveal. Um, especially even the form beforehand, which some, you know, I've, I've heard the comparison to a tall Tommy Wiseau, which is fair. But <laughs> um, I think that they did a really good job with that sequence. Um, and as far as other ones, I, I, I do think that first visual of the girl in the corner is really well done. Uh, I mean, even the scene, even though I saw it in the trailer a bunch, uh, the, that first scene with her and the girl when she's like talking to her and, and it eventually comes to her suicide, it it's a really well done scene. It, it shows enough to really disturb when she, when she starts, you know, raising that broken, uh, like it was like a pot or something that broke to her uh, neck. You know, that whole sequence is still really well done. Uh, I do think this movie would have benefited, you know, going briefly back to marketing of showing a bit less, especially with where they went with some of that marketing. Um, Cause I think that first teaser, which Jake and I were talked about, it just shows a, a person with this creepy smile. Honestly, I think that would have almost been enough to sell a lot of people on it. Uh, it sold me on it. Same. I mean, that's, I, I saw that trailer and I was like, I want to see this movie. I saw the second trailer and then I was like, ah, I don't want to see it as much, but I still want to see it. Right. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that it would have benefited a bit from that. But I mean, throughout the movie, a lot of the, I guess I want to say main scares are, I think, overall effective. I mean, you do have a couple, especially like the computer screen one. And uh, there's a couple instances of where it's, oh, you know, uh, something, you know, something broke, but it's never overbearing. Uh, the other one I also wanted to bring up, uh, which I thought was really well done, especially, I mean, Susie Bacon is so good in it. And there's a scene where she's thinking that, you know, something broke into the house and she's on the phone with the 911 operator or whatever. And the conversation goes in this really just <laughs> creepy direction. Uh, 
and thinking it's just, it's just really a well done sequence. I don't even really want to go into what happens in the sequence just for people who haven't seen it yet, but uh, I would say that's definitely one of the standout ones for me. I'm such a sucker for moments like that where it's just like, you know what, you basically know what's coming, especially when they kind of double down on that moment, right? Right. Later on in the movie. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the same time, like, I just love those moments where it's just like, you get to see the rug get pulled out from under that character's feet and, in you know, real time. And it's just, oh man. And especially just the way in which, because like Jake said, the fact that first teaser is just somebody with that creepy smile, like I was sold on that. And then having the follow-up of the trailer that showed even more after that one, I was kind of like, Okay, like I can almost kind of see the trajectory this movie takes and then finishing with such a heavy scare, as I said, you know, in the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, fuck, did they just show us the best moment of this movie? And then, you know, the fact that this movie is peppered throughout with so many almost like quieter moments, like the moment Stuart just mentioned in terms of well, not not the 19 foot uh, crazy looking <laughs> Tommy Wiseau monster, but uh, more so when she gets that phone call and, you know, I'll, I'll spoil it. Fuck it. It's uh, <laughs> people should have seen the movie by now. Fuck it. Um, Fair you know, enough. when she has the door open and, you know, the 911 operator calls to check in because the security system got triggered. And the security system person is like, oh, are there any open doors? Are there any open windows? Have you looked behind you? Like that moment, because you know it's coming, but the way that that line is delivered and the look on her, like all the color drains out of her face. It's also a really physical performance from her, just in terms of like facial features, considering, you know, it, half the movie is just like seeing people with fucked up looks on their face. But her, Susie Bacon does such a great job of just, you know, showing somebody that, you know, almost seems like they're a second behind what's happening, like trying to process whether what she's seeing is real. Again, coming back to the idea that, you know, her perception of reality is askew. And especially when, you know, she starts getting all this feedback from people in her life. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing you're saying makes sense. Everything you say you're seeing is nonsense. You almost see her start to like doubt herself a little bit and which just adds a lot of, I don't know, a lot of sort of texture to some of the interactions she has with uh, other characters. But for you, Jake, what were uh, some of the notable scares and smile? It's definitely the phone call too. That that's probably one of the most memorable. Uh, what Stuart was saying at the end as well. I I'm terrified of really tall people. I don't know what it is. Same thing with it follows. There was that one thing that was following that was very tall, and when that entity started growing in height, I was like, nope, 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 nope. nope. <laughs> um, I I will say I I did quite like the birthday party scene as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that one was. Maybe not as scary as some of the other ones, but I thought it was really effective and just kind of f- further pushing her away from her family and friends and kind of uh, forcing her to like question reality and stuff. And and the 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 shot of that girl sitting in the chair is is, is yeah. unsettling to say yeah. the least. <laughs> well, that mo- that scene is brilliant, I think, because it pairs. You know, not I, I would agree, you know, it's not a scene that is memorable because it is scary, but it is a memorable scene because it blends, you know, obviously the horror of a small child opening up a birthday gift and there being a dead, probably multiple days or weeks dead cat uh, in that box. Kitty. But, but <laughs> more so, you know, the social social implications of what is happening. Right. The fact that, as Jake said, you know, this incident is horrifying for all parties involved, but furthermore, nobody is going to believe her. 
it's going to further push her out of that circle of what she perceived as being a safety net. And now, you know, and this is why, you know, when I opened the episode, I was interested to hear sort of what you guys thought about the commentary on uh, mental health that the film is trying to take. And while, again, like, I think it's stronger at the beginning of the film than it is at the end of the film when it reminds itself like, oh, this is a, a fun horror movie that we kind of have to wrap up. It kind of glosses past a lot of that. But, you know, the struggle, I thought, of someone that's having an episode such as she is, you know, the way that she tries to explain it to people just very honestly, right? She quite literally says what is happening to her and, you know, just the way that people react to that. And the way that people are reacting is not, I mean, it's not ridiculous the way they're reacting because what she's saying point blank is ridiculous. But I just thought that it was an interesting sort of portrayal of people that are struggling with something, trying to just honestly say how it is for them. And, you know, you see how people react to it, granted. Hopefully there isn't like a smile monster uh, behind what somebody's trying to explain. But at the same time, I could kind of see some parallels maybe to like someone that's experiencing something as traumatic as she is and other people kind of just like, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. And then just reducing that to, you know, you're stressed or inevitably, you know, crazy. A lot of writing off. Yeah. When she goes by like after the party and then she goes back to her sister's house with all the files she's printed up in my head. I was like, okay, she's going to get the sister on board here. She's going to believe him and she's going to believe her and help. And then when she pulled out the files, I, I immediately, I, I w- my head was just, Oh no, this is bad. Yeah. This was a bad <laughs> idea. And that's exactly what happens. She gets, you know, pushed further away. And I think, I think that's, that's a good scene in in many ways, but I also think it does a good job of painting like, to to how two different people have handled trauma how her sister even says i've been trying to forget it that's why i want to sell the house meanwhile you just rehash it every single day and both aren't the correct way to necessarily go through it i would say you, you know like like both of them seem just on other end of the spectrums of dealing with this thing in a very unhealthy manner she just has the misfortune of uh getting an entity's attention (laughs) right yeah well it's also interesting too to see how two different people that you know in their case were dealing with the same trauma to different degrees of involvement right but at the same time trying to invalidate the other's solution to Mm -hmm. trying to handle that i thought was interesting that was another thing too with the film that i thought was interesting just the the stigma around mental health and how you know at one point and we see that like as a child you know her mother is um, an alcoholic and dependent on painkillers it seems and when her mother has clearly been causing her a great deal of emotional trauma for a period of time you know what is her reaction when she walks and sees her mother's in the throes of like an overdose she just runs away because and she even admits it at one point she's like well i just wanted it to end right and i Mm -hmm. thought that it was interesting to have that sort of language or perception of an event like that in a movie that you know some people are you know are just going to say is like this kind of like jump scare type of a movie right and i thought it was interesting to approach the side of mental health that might be more taboo right the fact that some people that maybe are dealing with those types of things or those situations are kind of like well i wish that this entire situation would kind of go away right and i was interested in how they kind of played that into her character and, uh, you know, the portrayal of that in her kind of getting over her own guilt 
um, in kind of handling that. I will say though that scene when she has all the file, um, she has all the files and she kind of spreads them out. The second time I saw the movie, it reminded me of uh, Charlie Day with Pepe Silva <laughs> and trying to like connect all of the dots. I'm not gonna lie, the second time in the theater, I had to stop myself from laughing. But uh, it was the type of thing though where I was appreciative of the fact it showed multiple characters' perceptions of what was going on, considering our protagonist is you know so unreliable up until uh you know maybe the very end of the movie yeah i i also i mean speaking of that scene that kind of made you laugh the other shot that i that probably should have been cut from the movie was after she leaves it cuts to to the son who's just looking out the window at her <laughs> Stuart just and i both traumatized yeah. <laughs> this kid is gonna not be okay I, was, I i like i understood the significance of it being like right. oh yeah this is how it affects people like you, you you can't you can't suffer in silence because other people are going to witness it and, and it is going to affect them somehow but just the way it cut to this kid who had a, a a face that looked as blank as a as, yeah. as a whiteboard just staring out the window <laughs> was pretty funny that was a pretty awful follow-up for him to a, an awful birthday party yeah it was like oh man poor kid <laughs> i'm trying to think what was another moment that really stood out to me it was probably the scene when the her therapist goes to the house to do a house call without the fiance yep. being there right, right. and you know Sure, it doubles down on that earlier phone call, kind of like, oh, you don't know who's on the other line type of thing, but more so just because of how gradually, and I'm looking up the actress's name, uh, Dr. Northcott is played by Robin Wiegert. Hope, hope I got that right. Um, she's just, also in a Deadwood. She's a really she's a really good actress. Oh, I didn't shit. even recognize right. her, uh, but uh, yeah, no, she's great. Sorry, go oh, ahead. Man, I didn't yeah, mean to cut I, you off. No, 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 you're fine. I completely forgot because I spent, I watched the movie twice and I kept trying to piece together and apparently forgot what IMDb is. But, uh, you know, I thought that that scene was great, even if it does double down again, like the, oh, who's on the other line type of a thing. But it's more so just, you know, the way her face gradually kind of just goes blank and then immediately comes back with that creepy as fuck smile. And also the way that she like steps over the couch slowly yeah. but menacing and the camera drops so it makes it look like she's, you know, 12 feet tall. Uh, little moments like that, again, I found to be far more effective than if we had been inundated with a bunch of jump scares along the lines of, you know, that laptop moment that we mentioned. Just because, I don't know, Parker Finn seems to, considering he's only made two short films and this is his first feature, you know, he seems to have a lot of sort of just handling with the camera in a way that, you know, just lets a scene kind of play out and not be reliant on just like big in your face moments that have to be loud to get your attention, right? They're very gradual. It's almost kind of like what, um, you know, Rose Cotter deals with, right? The fact that the reaction that she has to everything is like delayed by a second almost. I find that Parker Finn's approach to, you know, capturing a scene plays off of that really, really well. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I, I will say as much as I did like that scene when the, when the therapist does the house call, when her voice gets really deep, once again, that felt like a studio being being like, "Hey, we gotta make this. We gotta make this even scarier. We gotta we gotta add more to this. So let's give her a deep voice." I will say, having seen it twice now, I kind of get that, I guess, because it is an ent it is a creepy entity that she is dealing with, so it makes sense. It has that voice, but I almost think that scene would have been more unsettling if they hadn't done that. If they just left her voice the same as is and not done any effects and just let that scene play out I, th I think it 
had the it could have been even scarier you know yeah no i think even more so like if that scene had played out as you just said and then almost as if like it just snaps back to in the moment and she is actually there and she just is talking normally again and again playing Mm -hmm. with the perception of like how much of what we're being shown is actually happening and how much of it is you know this person's reaction to an incredibly traumatic event that they experienced and you know the baggage that she never actually herself uh dealed with as a child um so i guess i'm curious also you know there is this detective sort of procedural that acts as the framework for the second half of the film, right? We find out that one of the cops that's investigating that suicide early on in the film is like an old fling of Dr. Carter's before she got uh, engaged to her fiance. And then he kind of is the one that she's able to coerce into doing background research and detective work into all of these strings of suicides, which is how she, you know, uncovers this rash of traumas and suicides and how the deity or the entity kind of spreads. Um, how did you guys find that, Jake? How did you find that whole sort of uh, subplot framework, if you will? I I think I enjoyed it. I, I think it added a nice momentum to the story that rather than it felt like she was able to take things into her own hands and kind of be proactive. It wasn't just scary things happening to her. And I also think it felt like there was constantly a ticking time bomb going on whenever because I was always tense I was worried that you know when she visited Carla from Scrubs in that one scene <laughs> uh, that that she was going to have a, her moment there right where, where she might start seeing the entity or creepy things might happen or even when she was driving back with her uh, ex-boyfriend and and they're determining oh you need to kill when you're near someone. And I was like, okay, well, what's stopping her from just that entity being like, all right, we're in the car now, we're gonna do this right here. And that, that kind of added another level of tension, another layer of tension that um, I wasn't expecting. You know, I, I, I think it, it, it kept that, um, that, uh, that, that, that detective side, uh, it gave it a nice pace. I think you're absolutely right. I think that it gives that second half of the film, which quite honestly, typically ends up being the moment in a majority of films where it starts to lose its momentum almost. Like Mm -hmm. getting to that point, sometimes films exhaust themselves so much that by the time you get to that moment, you're kind of like, this is starting to peter out a little bit. But the introduction of that moment and, you know, her having, being more proactive, as you said, you know, it doesn't end up, doesn't allow this film to end up just being sort of like a haunted house series of scares. Like we don't have to have five more scenes of her seeing something in the shadows in the dark, which, you know, would have uh, been along the lines of, again, my incorrect assumption about what this movie uh, was going to primarily be consistent of. But Stuart, for you, what did you think of that sort of detective procedural aspect and um, the ex-boyfriend cop who's played by Kyle Gallner? Yeah, no, I thought he did a great job. Uh, I I think it was a smart decision. I mean, definitely with the framework, but also in that it wasn't a typical situation of when a cop narrative gets brought into it where it's like, ah, this beat cop who's been trying to solve all these smile murders over the last decade or something like that. You know, it was, (laughs) I mean, you know, like you guys said, I mean, it's very much her doing and just like being like, hey, you know, my ex is a cop. You know, I want to get his opinion. Um, I also liked that they were able, like that their relationship wasn't brought to oh, we're just going to hate each other and not have an actual conversation. Like, they, you know, he's very much, you know, I mean, even in the very beginning, he checks on her before we even know that they had a relationship. 
Um, so there's definitely, you know, they care about one another. So it, it, it helps to meld in that relationship with the cop narrative. I don't think it would have worked as well without it. If it was just, you know, oh, well, that cop seemed kind of nice. I guess I can ask him his opinion, you know. Uh, so I don't think that would have worked as well. Uh, so I appreciated that angle of it. And, and yeah, it, it definitely helped keep the pace up without it feeling forced. And like, oh, this movie needs to be trimmed. It, it felt like, okay, this would be a natural progression as to where she can really go in a situation like this. And, you know, especially when she's like, you know, doing all this background work. I mean, naturally eventually you're going to get to a point where it's like, well, I would need a cop or somebody similar to dig all this up. So I, I ended up liking it a lot. I don't know, man. Reddit's got a lot of wild information. Out that's, there. <laughs> that's a good point. It probably, you know what? It probably could have been a realistic angle. Be like, There's this guy on Reddit that keeps following all these bizarre suicides. And, uh, then, uh, and then she has to video call someone and it turns out to be Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> That's a that's a great point. That's actually something that I had in my notes. Uh, you know, I'm appreciative of the fact that, as again, we mentioned this film's almost two hours long. It doesn't feel needlessly bogged down. And I think part of that is because they only reveal enough about the entity that they need to. It doesn't go down this rabbit hole of we have to find the original origin, even if, you know, they would like to. It doesn't kind of boil down to like, we have to find the original inception of this. We have to find the name that goes with this and all the lore and all this like bullshit, which is part of what I don't like about uh, the second half of Sinister, where it's like, okay, <laughs> we have to know every single detail about this thing. You got to bring in the expert to the point where it's just like, let's get back to the creepy stuff because none of that other shit is all that important. Right. Um, and especially with a film like this, that just seems to be really kind of economically paced. It doesn't, again, waste a lot of time in that you get... I guess the most research that she does is when, you know, like Jake said, she goes to Carla's house where Carla's husband had, <laughs> I don't know the character's name. I'm just going to keep calling her Carla, but fantastic her husband artist. has been, yeah, fan fantastic, very vivid <laughs> uh, artist as well, um, where her husband was one of the people that killed himself. And, you know, that is an investigatory scene, right? It's finding out more information about it, but Again, the film never loses track of that human element, right? Because it is very close, clearly tied to this woman who lost her husband and, you know, the pain that she has and how little of a scene it is. Like, she's not in much of the movie, but, you know, the movie never loses the fact that, you know, there's a victim tied to each time the deity has jumped, um, which I thought was, again, not to say that it's, you know, profound or anything in the film, but... I find that it's at least adding a little bit of context to something rather than it just being, here's another guy that, you know, blew his head off or something like that. It's just a little emotional ties to everything that doesn't allow this to ever again, devolve into more or less like a haunted house of jump scares. Um, I guess, were there any other, before we get more into the finale of the film, uh, were there any other elements of this that didn't work for you guys? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I feel like we've we've covered it. It was mostly just some jump scares that I don't think worked and, and some creative decisions that felt like they had some studio push them to make. You, you didn't want another uh, scenic shot of a city just rotating slowly upside <laughs> <No>. down. <laughs> there were like two or three of those moments. And when we got to the third, I was just like, I get it. You like Midsommar. You like, uh, you yeah. like Candyman. Like, I get it. I get it. But <laughs> how about you, Stuart? Were there any other elements of smile that didn't quite land for you? Nothing. I mean, like I said, I mean, I went into this 
in a, such a certain mindset that I was just pleasantly surprised for most of it. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, most of the any issues I had were such little moments that I don't even know if they're worth mentioning. It, it would always be in like anytime there was a scene like example, like the jump, the computer jump scare, they follow it up with something either really well done when it comes to either character development or just like a nice emotional scene or a better scare. So I never was like sitting there lingering on things I didn't like in the movie. And at the pace it was going, I didn't have too much time either to sit there and dwell on some of those things. If it was, if it was, wasn't paced as well, I could see some of those being bigger issues, but I think they handled it in a way where I don't have like a huge amount of complaints about the movie. Yeah, no, I think that that's a testament to what Jake was saying earlier, right? Is the fact that some of these little moments that, you know, we can highlight, they almost feel like they're not indicative of the director's initial, you know, plan for the movie or just what they had in mind. Because every time you get one of those little moments, it's followed up by something that makes you completely forget about what you just saw, that it's barely a complaint, right? I think even that jump scare that we've mentioned now a couple of times, it's like, okay, but then the film moves on to something that's actually genuinely terrifying or creepy or a piece of plot development or, you know, the emotional arc of its protagonist. Um, I guess the only other thing that, again, <laughs> like Stuart said now, I'm kind of like, is this even worth mentioning? But there was one, there was like one or two moments that were kind of just these kind of like, oh, well, she's dreaming, right? Which is when she goes back to the hospital because she mm -hmm. wants to, you know, break the cycle. And so now she's contemplating killing somebody in front of somebody else to have the deity jump. And then that just ends up being like a dream sequence as she wakes up from. There's like two or three moments of that. And then I was kind of like, okay, I get it. She's either dreaming or she's not dreaming. But again, now that I've said that out loud, it's barely worth mentioning. Well, uh, let's. Oh, I just want to run real quick thing with that. Something I actually did appreciate about that scene is I did. And, and once again, I mean, her performance in this movie is so good. That was one of the main things like I came out with when I was talking with Jake about it. I was like, she's that performance is so good. But something with the, with the movie and its testament to the writing and directing is that even though we are definitely rooting for her, she is not a perfect person. And I like the fact that they even went into the fact that she's like, should I do this? Like she had like, like with that scene in particular, I mean, she brought a knife with her thinking like, I mean, am I going to be that desperate and like get to that point? I mean, it doesn't go to that. I mean, you had that dream sequence, which I, it almost like, I almost started laughing on one point in the dream sequence. Cause I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> like, shocking. Um, but, uh, I did appreciate that. They were like, look, she's not perfect. And she's in this really like horrendous situation. Like, and I, like, I didn't come out of that scene going like, Oh, she's just a terrible person. Cause she even considered it, you know? Uh, so I will give that scene that shout out to Cal Penn for being a good boss. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which I thought was such a random cameo for him, but at the same time, like it worked. Didn't yeah. hate, didn't hate seeing him in a role that wasn't just like a stoner comedy or whatever he's been doing recently. Didn't he try to get into politics? I think that's what happened to him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that uh, that Harold and Kumar, you know, vibe is hard to, is yeah, hard to, hard to uh, shake. Yeah, hard to shake. True. But uh, let's chat about the finale of the film, and then I can get you guys out of here because that ending i would say was the first moment where i actually you know connected it to it follows in real time watching it for the first time because you know she goes there of course the entity is going to tap into the trauma 
that she has and the guilt that she has about, you know, a, you know, for lack of a better phrase, I suppose, abandoning her mother while she was having the overdose, which resulted in her dying, which she's never been able to grapple with. And, you know, then the mother, of course, when the deity is not able to, you know, bait her in the way that it wants to, it says, fuck it, I'm going to grow 12 feet tall and, you know, stomp through this old house. Um, what did you guys think of that finale? Did you find that to be a satisfying arc for uh, the protagonist? Did you find that to be a cool monster moment, if you will? That part in particular, yes. I, I did like that part quite a bit, especially when you see the monster itself. I thought it it didn't linger too much on it, but it it, it gives you just enough to to realize how, how fucking creepy this thing is. So, so I did like that, and I liked her little, you know, she hits it with the lamp and stuff. That that part I liked. It was the final scene that that I I want to discuss. I, I I've, yeah. What did you think of that moment, Stuart? Before we kind of unpack that uh, that <coughs> the final final, moment, final which, frame, the final final frame, which is definitely <laughs> the part where I get to, and I'm just like. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that in terms of what you guys started with, what he started with, with the film. And then, you know, kind of that last moment, but Stuart, what do you, do you think about that kind of monster moment? Um, I love the monster moment, especially the, the design of the, I, I think they put, I, I mean, I'm not going to say, Oh, they did way too much because that's just dumb to say today in film. I always appreciate when they get creative with designs of entities or creatures. And, uh, and I think this, this design, was really unique i wasn't sitting there i mean like yeah i mean i guess when you have like the big full reveal you could draw comparisons to certain body horror or like the thing and things like that but the way it looked and how it was shot uh really caught me off guard because i was sitting there waiting for like the uh, here's the cgi cringe fest now for the last like you know part of the film and it, it didn't it didn't come off that way to me especially when it starts to like uh, it has that shot of it like entering her that came mm. out kind of okay. I didn't mean it that way, but <laughs> um, there's a but there's a sequence in how it looks. Like it looks disturbing. It didn't come off as cheesy or like oh, okay. Um, because I found a lot of movies, especially lately, there will be a movie that's really serious and grounded for the most part, and then they have this batshit finale that kind of just throws it for me. And in this, it, it did not do that, especially when it's progressively transforming. Especially from like her mo- vision of her mom to kind of getting taller and then contorting through the doorways, it was like a, it was a slow build to that final form. Uh, so I, I really that was one of my favorite parts of the movie, um, and I didn't expect it because you know for the rest for most of the movie it's you know quick flashes and um you know it's it was really well done. I I, I liked it a lot. I definitely had that fear in me when the entity started to reveal itself where I, my head went, oh God, it's it's going to look <laughs> stupid like they always do. They're, I'm going to they're I'm gonna see this and I'm going to wish they had never shown it and just left it. <laughs> and then I saw it and it was satisfying with all the teeth and the, the rows of mouths. teeth. I thought it was, yeah. it, was, it, it was pretty cool. It was, it, it was creepy. It worked. Well, again, coming back to just Parker Finn having such a smart handling of film and that you don't see the entity like how many other directors I feel like that maybe don't have I don't know I don't know how to phrase that without sounding like a dickhead I don't know directors that maybe were just like oh well I've got this badass monster concept of mine let's put this pepper this throughout the film right don't I mean, have that I same like, restraint 
Yeah, restraint. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Um, you know, so many directors, I feel like, would have just been like, well, this is too cool to save for the last 90 seconds of my movie or whatever. And the fact that not only do we get to see, you know, the creature being her mother and then being, you know, monstrously tall, but then it continues to evolve throughout that entire fire chapter where it's just like, oh, now it doesn't have skin now it you know has an ungodly number of rows of teeth or like i love when you have a threat that is continually evolving up until the final moments of the film because mm -hmm. it's so rare that you get that third act payoff in the way that this film does again this is the guy's first feature film sure he's had two short films that uh, i only saw the one that this one is built from and i haven't seen the other one but you know by all accounts he's a relatively new filmmaker and the fact that he has that level of restraint and trusts that the audience will have the patience to get there and not immediately kind of just bounce off of this movie up until that moment, um, I found to be really rewarding. And it makes, you know, <laughs> up until the next scene we're going to talk about uh, makes it that much better of a finale. But Jake, let's unpack that uh, that final scene that uh, it, you had some reservations for and I certainly did as well. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. The, so... I I saw this with two groups of people. I saw it once with Stuart and some friends. Everyone loved it. I saw it with another group of friends about a week later, and no one liked it. I was the only one. Well, one other person who was there liked it, but I don't think he liked it as much as I did. Uh, and a lot of it came down to that ending. And I, I think the takeaway for that second group was that uh, the the moral, more or less, is like it... it you know, if you take this entity as a representation of, of trauma and, and mental illness and stuff, the, the moral, quote unquote, is that the way to solve it is by offing yourself. And yeah. there are movies that have tried to do that. I, I haven't seen Lights Out, but I know that that movie, mm -hmm. it's kind of the moral of that film. Uh, and, and I kind of see that aspect to it. And when I first saw it, I was initially bummed that that's how it ended, partly because it also felt like the easy way out with her just killing herself in front of that guy. Like I was hoping there'd be something a little more, there'd be a more uh, uh, a certain resolution. I guess the implications of that ending was just, oh, and the entity's still going. It's going to keep doing what it was doing, yeah. uh, which is fine. But I, I think the way it was handled just, just felt like the, Kind of the easy way out, I would say. Um, I will say as a horror film, I think I did kind of appreciate that uh, at the end it was like, oh, actually, yeah, we're a fucking horror movie. There's not going to be some, sure, she can she can face her trauma and sure, she can get over it, but it's still a horror movie and there's an entity and it's going to kill things because that's what it does. So I appreciated that aspect, but it also felt kind of cheap. If that makes sense, it was a roundabout way of getting there. No, I, I think that perfectly uh, kind of encapsulates how I felt about that ending. But before I say how I felt on it, more than that, uh, Stuart, how did you find that ending? Um, I'm 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 mixed with it because the thing with it is, I mean, if you do look at it through that metaphorical lens, I, I could see where people are jumping to the conclusion. I personally, I didn't get that. But I think the reason why was because at that point, we have addressed this is not something that's just in her head. And this is yeah. a demon. This is a monster. And from to your point, sorry, I, I just I just think that's an important thing to mention is that like 
we're already past the fact that this is mental, right? This is this yeah. is an actual thing haunting right, her. Right, right. And that is what kills her. She doesn't kill herself, which, like, depending on which angle you want to look at it, I can see how c- people can interpret other things. But I think it sounds like your interpretation, my interpretation is that this is an entity. This yeah. Is, this, is, it, this is not <laughs> in her head. Right. So for me, like, if the movie had ended and it was ambiguous, it would be troubling. I, I could see wh- where people would draw more on that. But like the fact that it gets to the point that this is very much something outside of her control, um, I, it it opened me up a little bit more to how it ends and her actions for it. And I didn't come off with that side of it. Um, with saying that, I, I think the thing with me, which helped me to like the movie a lot more, is uh, this is an incredibly mean-spirited entity. And... You know, because when you think about it, I mean, throughout the whole movie, it never physically harms her. And I mean, when you get to the end, sure. But like up until that point when she gets hurt, it's her reacting usually to something that it's doing in her head. Well, and it has to be very... doing things to her that, you know, don't give away the fact that this is anything other, other than just her, right. right it's using mental health as like a shield for itself basically exactly so like throughout the movie it's just kind of masking itself and fucking with her and i mean even in how it presents itself as a smile i mean you could i mean you if i mean once again for people who want to go into the metaphors of you know putting on a smile when everything's not actually all right yeah. but you know there's also that angle of it's also for me mocking these people you know, each time yeah. that it presents itself to them, it, it comes off as it's like, yeah, I gotcha. And like, you can't really do much about it. Um, and as far as her actions at the end, uh, yeah, when I first saw it with Jake, I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. Consider- I mean, once again, I'm going to repeat this again. She's so fucking good in this movie. And I felt so bad for her that when it comes to that ending, it's like, that's, you know, it's a bummer in that respect. Like, you know, in some horror movies, it gets to the end and it might have a little bit of a downer, but you're like, okay, I get it. Where with this one, you'd really do root for her to get out of this situation. Um, but for me, with I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent with it. But... No, no, you're good. <laughs> with, that's your thing. That is my thing, I guess. Um, but with her, I thought, like, some of the irony that came from the situation is in order to kind of combat this monster instead of getting help from others she had to isolate to you know have that possibility of it not spreading and in that way i found it to be a very altruistic for her to be like i'm just taking this to where all my shit is you know my trauma has been built up and whatever happens at this house happens and i'm going to be there alone we're going to figure out if it's something that can be beaten. And if not, I die, but there's nothing to spread to. So I found that angle of it very much like in character from what we had seen, especially when she's like, yeah, I'm not going to kill somebody. You know, this is, this is the choice I'm going to go with. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll go with it. Um, Mm -hmm. The boy, the ex coming into the room. I mean, it does feel a little like, well, there could be a sequel and trauma you know and like you can go with that like trauma spreading to others so that it can continue but as a standalone movie it didn't ruin anything for me uh her character like i said like when she turns around with a smile and all that it's definitely like a you know a a downer moment because you're just like this girl's just been through so much shit in this last like week uh but yeah i thought that it was handled 
I think it was handled a lot better than some people have said because I I talked with a couple other people about it and they were also kind of pulling away the whole like oh you're going through trauma and like the way out is just to off yourself and I'm like you know I like once again I I could see where you could you could see that but for me I I just think that at that point in the movie it's far past being about what trauma does to people and more so her fighting a fucking you know demon that's possessing her (laughs) yeah I guess I, I guess my thing is is I'm not entirely frustrated with how it ends. I just in in her fate, I just wish there was there was something that would that would that would show us that all the work she put in wasn't for nothing. And that's yeah. kind of how the ending felt. I guess you could argue that okay, now this cop actually knows what's happening. He's seen it firsthand from start to finish. He's not walking into this at the very end of the process. So I guess you could take that away, but it didn't feel like there was anything concrete like when it was over it was like okay so i guess this is just going to keep happening which is scary right like that that's still happening but i I just wish there was something even if it was tiny that was like i don't know what it could be it could just be like him under i i I don't know i don't know and and i imagine (laughs) it was a hard ending to write because of that well one thing i actually wanted to quickly mention with that because jake and i had talked about this is prior to that ending when she's attacking the entity, like when she's after like the whole lamp sequence and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, Jake and I even discussed like, what if she did, and, and not to say like, oh, if I wrote the movie, but it would have been an interesting angle if she did accidentally like kill her ex in that like sequence. Cause we talked, we, cause like when she goes like back to the apartment and all that in her head and you know, I mean, we could kind of figure the guy's probably going there to meet up. But, like, you know, at least in that, I guess you could have had it where this can be a standalone movie where, you know, the entity did end up messing with her head and it results in, you know, unfortunately, someone's life being taken, but done by the entity. So you have that horror element of, like, it did get a final jab in, but she does get to kind of, you know, confront everything she's been through. As opposed to just kind of like Jake said, I, I do definitely have a little bit of that feeling of it feels like uh, they really didn't get her like a final, like an actual final moment. Because I mean, really, I mean, the final moment with us is her, you know, lighting herself on fire. We didn't really get that final, like, at least we feel like <laughs> this is somewhat concluded for her. Yeah, I think the film struggles between whether it's trying to have something profound to say or, you know, when it reminds itself, like, this is a fun horror movie to some extent, right? And we kind of trying to find a happy medium between those. It also, you know, it's a conjecture, but it seems like there was probably more influence from a studio on how they needed to end this in the sense of something along the lines of maybe one of its influences where the idea is like, sure, these people put in all this work, but at the end of the day, nothing's going to stop this malevolent uh, deity or spirit, if you will. And yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a fan of directors that are willing to, you know, have a mean-spirited ending. That's just, you know, maybe that's, just, <laughs> that's me being weird. But I'm always appreciative of directors that are willing to, you know, take a risk that a lot of directors maybe wouldn't. But when you start to view it through the lens of, again, the metaphor and things, it's like, so all this work and you should just kill yourself? Like, but at the same time, with a film such as this and, I think more so I'm resting just on how polished so much of this film 
is. And maybe, you know, that's giving it too much credit in this regard. But at the same time, I don't feel that that ending has any sort of like malicious intent, if you will. I don't even know if that's the right way to frame that. But if it was maybe a film that was not as well put together or a film that didn't feel as if, you know, there was as much thought into it as clearly was with Smile, then having an ending like that, I might start to then think more, I might start to think differently about that ending and think, well, that's kind of a shitty ending to a movie, especially when, you know, it's a character we're so invested in. But in this case, with this film, it just kind of feels like eh, there's a little too much going on towards the end and they didn't quite know how to find a happy medium between the two. At the same time, you know, the sycophant in me is like, yeah, you know, bad shit happens to good people all the time. And a director, you know, willing to have that play out on some level, I suppose I can appreciate. But yeah, you know, this was a film that I was surprised at how divisive it ended up being, at least, you know, in my little circle or just Mm -hmm. kind of a general reading on Twitter, because it was a film going into I had very low expectations, you know, like Stewart had said, but after getting to watch it and then seeing it a second time within, you know, a week and a half, uh, it was definitely a surprise of this year that I was not expecting uh, in terms of just how well this film ended up, you know, dabbling in certain genre influences, but at the same time, you know, building on those in a more creative manner than uh, I think it's marketing led us to believe. Yeah, and I think you kind of mentioned it, but I think the craftsmanship on display here is so it's so good that it elevates a lot of things that, you know, had a lesser director tackled this, I think we would be having a very different conversation. If this had just kind of been the general, uh, maybe Friday night VOD fair, uh, (laughs) that that level of production value, (laughs) I think this conversation would have gone very, very different. Just like an expanded conjuring universe film where it was like, yeah, we'll just throw a director on this and, and, And then you have a fight between the smile monster and the nun coming up, you know? You gotta- yeah. <laughs> See a crossover between this and the ring. <laughs> yeah. So Samara is just like, why is everyone smiling? What's going on here? It's my gig. I think all three of us uh, can be thankful for the level of craftsmanship and polish that was put into smile because this was definitely uh, a standout for the year for me. And I'm definitely uh, glad that the three, that three of us were able to, you know, find time to get to, delve into it in a little more depth because uh, I haven't had a chance to really do so. So yeah, as always, guys, it's always a pleasure having you on Daily Horror Habit and uh, I look forward to the next time. Hell Thank yeah. you for having us. It yeah. was a blast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at Not Funny Jay. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.